Father God, we thank you for the rich blessings that are contained within your word. And we pray that, Lord, you would pour out of your word into our hearts, our minds, and our spirits, our souls this morning, something of those riches, that we would be enriched, that we would be built up and encouraged. Lord, please speak to us where we need to be spoken to and help us to hear all that you have from heaven for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, can you open up your Bibles, please, to 1 Samuel chapter 23. That's our manner for this morning, 1 Samuel 10, uh, 23. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, I exhort you to have a Bible so that you can read through with me. There are Bibles in the grey box over there on the table. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those Bibles as a gift from the Lord to you this morning. But it's important that you are reading the Word of God along with me because there is something about that that helps you to engage with the text. Now, although we are in 1 Samuel chapter 23 this morning, our very first verse is from 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So put your finger in 1 Samuel chapter 23, then flick over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and then you can flick back to uh, 1 Samuel a little bit later on. But let me give you an introduction just to bring you all up to speed because it's been something like four weeks since we were last in Samuel, what with guest speakers and uh, special talks and all the rest of it. The Lord had anointed David uh, to be king. That was in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And when David was, and at that point David was the ill-favoured and insignificant son of Jesse, dismissed to be a mere shepherd boy in the wilderness. But that anointing was an acknowledgement of his call to the office of a king and it was also symbolic of the anointing and the equipping of the Holy Spirit that would come on David. He was not filled with the Spirit the way that we as believers are filled with the Spirit but the Spirit would come upon him and anoint him and equip him for that work. And David would experience two further anointing in his, anointings in his life. The first, uh, sorry, the second one would be in 2 Samuel chapter 2, after he became king over all of Judah. And then the third anointing would be in 2 Samuel chapter 5, when he becomes king over all of Israel. But since this shepherd boy had been anointed back in chapter 16, he had risen from obscurity to serve in King Saul's court, to marry the king's daughter, to becoming a commander in the king's army, and of course slaying the giant from Gath. Juxtaposed to David's rise in prominence in the eyes of Israel was the rise in Saul's jealousy and anger and paranoia toward David. And the Lord had taken the Holy Spirit from Saul just as he had given the Holy Spirit to David. And he had also told Saul that not only has he taken the Holy Spirit from him, but he has taken the kingdom from him also, and that another man would become king. And Saul knew that this man was David. So he made his, so Saul made it his mission to kill David so that he could preserve his name, so he could preserve his dynasty. But in so doing, he opposed God himself. He was opposing God's anointed. Now Saul's son, Jonathan, on the other hand, 
was a very godly man and uh, he yielded to the Lord's will in this matter and he supported David and his claim to the throne and he established a covenant with David so there was this special bond between Jonathan and David whereas there was this big rift between Saul and David and so as we catch up with the story in chapter 23 David finds himself on the run from Saul although David has sought many a place of refuge along the way he fled to Ramah he fled to Nob he fled to Gath he fled to Adullam he fled he fled to Moab but the Lord did not permit David rest in any of these locations and also David had fled to many men he fled to Samuel, to Jonathan, to Ahimelech, to the king of Gath, and to the king of Moab. But the Lord had not permitted uh, David's solace in any of these men's care either. And you see, what God was teaching David through all this is that God is his rest. God is his solace. You take refuge in God, not in places and not in men and by God's grace David was being transformed into a more godly man preparing him and equipping him for the role of the king which was yet future but that work was not yet complete and as Saul continued in his pursuit of David daily David found that his life was on the line daily David found his reliance on the Lord had to increase because every time he leant upon his own strength, his own wisdom, he came a cropper. And so in the text that we see before us this morning, we're going to see David leaning more heavily upon the Lord. Now, God is constantly at work in the lives of his children, breaking your reliance on people and places the same way that God broke David's reliance upon people and places. And at the same time, building your reliance on the Lord and his provision. You see, God uses hardship and affliction and opposition today in your life the same as he used hardship and affliction and opposition yesterday in David's life. God's methods don't change. And David's journey is no different than the journey God takes you on. He was and is God's anointed. But let me tell you this morning, you are God's anointed as well. You are God's anointed. That's why I wanted you to put your finger in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Can you turn in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and read verses 21 and 22? And I'll read it to you as well. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us in God is God, who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Do you see that? Now he who establishes us with you in Christ, who establishes you in Christ, has anointed us. Uh, in, uh, anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. God has anointed you with the Holy Spirit. 
He first establishes you in Christ, then he anoints you with the Holy Spirit. Uh, but that establishing in Christ is the important first step. You can flick back to 1 Samuel 23. We'll be there in just a minute. Um, yes, the process is God establishes you first in Christ, then he anoints you with the Holy Spirit. It is required of a man to put their faith in Christ for salvation first before he will anoint you with his Holy Spirit. If you do not believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose on the third day, you are not established in Christ. And therefore you do not have the anointing of the Holy Spirit on your life. Yet if you have surrendered your life to God, if you have believed that Jesus has died for your sins, was buried and rose again on the third day, you are established in Christ and you have been anointed with the Holy Spirit. You've been sealed with the Spirit as a guarantee. So you see that there's no difference between you and David. You are both anointed of God. And that's important for us to remember as we move forward. Because God uses the same methods on the same people who are his. Salvation is not a mere rescue from hell and judgment, by the way. Salvation is a process where you are being transformed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. Where you are being equipped to bring God glory. Where you are being trained to be effective in your service to the King of Kings. And as we learn about God's guidance in the life of David, his anointed... We learn something of God's guidance in the life of you, of the you and me believer, who is also anointed. So that's my premise for this morning's talk. Bit of a weighty introduction, but you're anointed the way that David's anointed. God is dealing with David's life, and God will deal with your life in exactly the same way. So there's principles we can take from David, and we can apply them to ourselves. And so there are two accounts... Uh, or two events in chapter 23, one involving the city of Keilah and the other is in the wilderness of Ziph. I hope I can have time to be able to get through all of these. If not, we'll have to finish it next time. But let's start with uh, the events in the city of Keilah. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13 so you get the whole story in one hit and then we'll go through it. Then they told David, saying, Look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? 
Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. And David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. Okay, so our account here starts off with um, uh, intelligence reaching David that the Philistines are raiding the city of Keilah. Then they told David, verse 1, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they are robbing the threshing floors. So this is not a full uh, invasion of the land, uh, but this is a raiding party coming in at the time of harvest because they're coming to the threshing floor to steal their wheat, their barley, whatever it is that they have grown, perhaps even their livestock. And uh, so this is, I don't know, has anybody here ever seen the film The Seven Samurai? It's a whole it's a story about in, in set in Japan where all these raiding parties come in to this, this poor village of farmers and they're so desperate that they employ the services of seven samurai to defend the, the, the village. Classic film. And I always think about that when I read about these raiding parties, seeing them come down on horses from the hills into the village to try and uh, pillage all that they can take. Uh, but this, this group of villagers from Keilah, they're not calling on seven samurai, they're calling on, King, uh, on David to, and his band of men to come and help. And by this time, I should say, his band of men have grown from 400 to 600. We'll see that a little bit later on. And then in verse 2 we read, that therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Keilah was a walled city in the lowlands of Judah. And Judah, of course, is David's tribe. And the first thing I want you to see is that David does not respond to need. And he does not respond to tribal allegiance. He doesn't go to Keilah because he sees a need and thinks, well, we've got to do something about this. And he doesn't go to them just because they're his tribe. David responds to God. And as God's anointed, you must respond to God. You must be governed by what God would have you do, not by what you might naturally be compelled to do because of your makeup or your chemistry. And the second thing I want you to see here is David does not dismiss the troubles of his neighbours in Keilah, saying, well, you know, that's their problem. David does not look solely to himself in his own, saying, well, I've got problems of my own. I've got six hundred guys I've got to look after. I can't go running down to Keilah or anybody else who's got any problems. No, 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 no. David brings the matter before the Lord and he says, shall I go and attack these Keilah? He comes and he makes himself available to God and he says, God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And as God's anointed, you need to be available to be used by God as David was. Don't dismiss opportunities and say, well, you know, that's not for me, that's their problem. But seek God about service. Ask God, is this somewhere that you want me to serve you? Lord, should I join the evangelism team? Lord, should I help with the Sunday school? 
Lord, should I come early on Sunday to help set up with the chairs? Don't dismiss it and say that's somebody else's job. Come to the Lord, make yourself available and see what the Lord would have you do. But the Lord directs David to attack Keilah, or rather attack the Philistines who are attacking Keilah. But he had a problem, and we see that problem in verses 3 and 4. But David's men said to him, look, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? He had 600 men, but they were nervous about going into battle. Philistines were a fearsome horde of people. You don't just kind of go at a moment's notice to attack these people. Then David inquired of the Lord once again, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David has a group of fearful men who have not only fled to David's side, but are also fleeing from King Saul. And Israel's a small place. In fact, I think I've got... Where are we? There we go. I've got a map, so you've got some idea of the geography of the place. So there's uh, Jerusalem, currently under the control of the Jebusites. And you've got Zip, which we'll get to later on. You've got Keilah there. But the distance from Jerusalem to Zip is about 19 miles. Same sort of distance as from Maidstone to Ashford. Uh, and so it's about half of that to Keilah. So that's about 10 miles. You know, it's, it's not very far at all. This whole area where this is, this is happening and where David is running from Saul. Saul is based in Gibeah. So it's in an area about the size of Kent that all this stuff is happening. It's not some big nation thing. It's, it's the size of Kent that this stuff is happening. And uh, there's not a great deal of places to hide 600 men in Kent let alone Israel. And uh, so these men were vulnerable. And David wants them to go to war against the Philistines. Now, notice David doesn't force his men into combat using manipulation and methods of fear the same way that Saul did with his army. No, David doesn't get angry or force or compel his men. What he did was David brought his men before the Lord and David inquired of the Lord a second time. He brought his men to the Lord and he inquired of them. He'd inquired privately and the Lord had said, go fight. Now he inquires of the Lord publicly so all these 600 men can hear what God is saying. And so what God David was doing was he was teaching his men to seek the Lord. He was teaching his men to get the counsel of God to guide their actions. And as God's anointed, you need to lead people to God like David did. And you need to teach people to trust God the way that David did. David and his men are now of one mind because they've all sought the Lord together, they've all heard from the Lord, and because they're of one mind and they've all heard from God, they can all move forward together as one in battle against the Philistines, having a confidence that's instilled of them by God, not by any individual strength or sense of ability in fighting and it's important for the people of God to move forward as one of one mind and one spirit then in verse 5 we read and David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines struck them with a mighty blow and took away their livestock 
So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. So praise God, God gives David victory. And uh, if you walk in faith and obedience to God, you will find victory in your own life. It was not sufficient to simply know the will of God. What was the will of God? Go and attack Keilah. David needed to step forward in faith and obedience to do the will of God. You need to know the will of God and you need to do the will of God. And as God's anointed, it is not merely sufficient for you just to know the will of God, to know what the Bible says. You must step forward in faith and obedience to do the will of God. There is no victory. There is no reward and no maturity in Christ for those who know God's will but, uh, but uh, do not do God's will. There is only victory and reward and maturity for those who know God's will and do God's will. It's not sufficient that you just know the word of God and you've got all that knowledge. You need to be living it out. You need to be applying it to your life. Note the reward David obtains. He took away their livestock. Now this is Philistine livestock that David has captured. So the Philistines sought to raid but ended up being raided themselves. And this livestock would feed David and his band of merry men. David and his men were blessed by the spoils, and the inhabitants of Keilah were blessed as they were saved. Now, as God's anointed, if you stand and fight for God's will, and let me tell you, every day it is a battle, but if you stand and fight for God's will, you will be blessed. And not only that, those about you will be blessed. David was blessed, his men were blessed, the people of Keilah were blessed. And if you stand and fight for God's will, you'll be blessed, but those around you will be blessed as well. You know, it can be the difference of whether you spend time with the Lord in the morning or whether you don't. You can spend time with the Lord in the morning, you're enriched, blessed, built up in the faith, then, you, then you'll find that you're much more gracious, kind towards your, your husband, your wife, towards your children. You're more inclined to be a good witness for the Lord in the workplace or whoever, whomever you encounter during the day. You're blessed because you've stood and fought to be with the Lord and other people are blessed as well. But conversely, let's just say you just don't make the effort. You don't fight the fight. You don't spend the time with the Lord in the morning. You're grumpy to your spouse. You're grumpy to your children. You don't take the opportunity to share in the workplace. And instead of being a blessing to the people in your life, you're a curse to them. You need to stand and fight so that you are a blessing to yourself and a blessing to those around you. Now in verse 6 we read, um, Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Now this is infill information. We knew uh, from the previous uh, chapter that when Saul sent for Ahimelech at Nob, he subsequently uh, killed Ahimelech, or rather Doeg the Edomite did, and uh, he massacred all the priests and all the inhabitants of Nob. And Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, was the sole priest to flee to safety. And Abiathar ran to David, and he, he is now the new high priest. But he not, did not flee to David's side empty-handed. He took the ephod with him, which is the breastplate worn by the um, high priest. It had 12 stones, symbolizing the 12 tribes of Israel, and there were two additional stones, the Urim and the Thummim that were there. 
we don't know a lot about these. There's a lot of speculation. A lot of people think there was one black, one white, and there'd be a way to divine God's will. You would ask and pray, and you'd, the high priest would put his hand in, take out a stone, and if it was a yes answer, it'd be white, and if it was a no answer, it'd be black. Um, but that's the degree of speculation there. We don't know for absolutely certain. But it was a way of being able to divine God's will, probably with two stones. And this tells us how David was able to inquire of the Lord those two times that we've seen already, whether to go to battle to Keilah or in Keilah against the Philistines or not. Abiathar, now the high priest, divined God's will using two stones. And the first thing I want you to see here is that David discerns God's will using two, mean, two means, by using the Urim and the Thummim. And as God's anointed, God has given you two means by which you can discern the will of God yourself, the Spirit and the Word. And these two are always in agreement with one another. God will guide you and lead you through the instruction of the Word of God. That's why you need to have the Word of God in front of you. That's why you need to be reading it. But the Lord will also guide you by the Holy Spirit, giving you unction, leading, confirming you through spiritual gifts and signs as well. But the Spirit will always be in agreement with the word. And the second thing I want you to see is God's grace to David here. You know when David fled to Ahimelech at Nob, how was he fed? Do you remember? By the showbread, absolutely right. The showbread from the tabernacle. And how was he armed? Sword of Goliath that was also there at Nob. Now, if you were to flick back to 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 9, we read about this. It says, So the priest said, The sword of Goliath, the Philistine, whom you killed in the valley of Elah, there it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, take it, for there is no other except that on here. And David said, There is none like it. Give it to me. Now, notice, David had a choice. There were two items there. He had the choice of the ephod, or the sword of Goliath. And what did he take? He took the sword of Goliath. And it's, in, it's important to note that at this point, David was operating in his own strength and in his own wisdom. And as such, he took a sword, something that he could use to forge a path for his own will. But come the battle of Keilah, God had dealt with that part of David. David was no longer relying upon himself, his own strength and wisdom. He was now operating in the strength and the wisdom of God. And as such, God brought him the ephod that he'd previously rejected so he could forge a path according to God's will. That's the grace of God. And as God's anointed, if your heart is yielded to the Lord like David's was, he will give you what you need. He'll give you that guidance. He'll give you the tools. He'll equip you so that you can do what God is guiding you and directing you to do. You might, not, uh, you might know God is leading you in a certain direction, but you lack, and you think, well, I lack the resources to accomplish what God is calling me to do. <clears throat> I would say move forward in faith and obedience, and by God's grace, he will give you what you need, just as he gave David what he needed. Excuse me. <clears throat> Okay, verse 7. And Saul was told that uh, David had gone down to Keilah. 
So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand, Paul deluded Paul, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. So Saul's intelligence officers bring a report to the king saying that David has been sighted at Keilah. Now Keilah means fortress. And it's rightly named as it had walls, it had gates, and it had bars. It was a heavily defended city. But this doesn't deter Saul. Uh, It doesn't stop him from preparing his people to lay siege to the city. And it's quite incredible, really, to think that it was Saul's job to defend the people of Keilah, yet it was David doing his job for him. David was doing the work of the king before he was king by defending the people. Where was Saul? He was off doing something else. And often you'll find that within the church, it is those who are doing the work before they are called that prove themselves worthy to be called. I know that when Ian and I were talking about uh, asking uh, Johnny and Dennis to come alongside us as assistant elders, we looked at Dennis and what was he doing? He and Yvonne were inviting people over to their house having meals, they were going and visiting people, they were exercising pastoral care. They were already doing the work of an elder. And so by asking them to join the eldership team, it was just formalising what God was already doing in their lives. And when David becomes king, it will be just a case of formalising what he's already doing. What's more, instead of Saul defending Keilah, he's preparing to attack Keilah posing as much of a threat to Keilah as the Philistines, it would seem. Further showing the people that it's David, showing David's suitability as a king, but Saul's unsuitability as a king. And you can see how public favour would shift in favour of David. Despite the good that David has done by delivering the Keilah of the Philistines, Saul seeks to take David's life. It's just incredible, isn't it? David has actually sought to defend the children of Israel, to fight off the Philistines. But Saul, instead of rewarding David for his service, which I think would have been more appropriate, he seeks to take David's life. David reflected upon this in the Psalms. And in Psalm 35, verse 12, he said, They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. They reward me evil for good to the sorrow of my soul. And I can, you, can, you can feel the hurt there inside of him. In this, David reflects, I think, the character of Jesus. Because Jesus, too, was rewarded evil for good, wasn't he? In John 10, verse 32, Jesus answered them, Many good works I have shown you from my Father. For which of those works do you stone me? He was rewarded evil for good. Just like David. And as God's anointed... You are to reflect the character of Christ the way that David reflected the character of Christ. Doing good without expectation of reward. Even receiving evil for good. Be prepared to receive receive evil for good. Remember, your reward is not in this life. Your life, your reward is in the life to come. Your reward is in the kingdom to come. Then in verses 9 to 12 we read... When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. 
Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servants has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, he will come down. And then David said, will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will deliver you. So intelligence reaches David of Saul's impending arrival. And previously David had sought refuge in places and people, but now he has learned to take refuge in God. And instead of presuming on the protection of Keilah and its people, David calls for the ephod again and looks to God for protection and guidance. What should I do in this situation, God? Will Keilah protect me or will they give me up to Saul? And as God's anointed, you will constantly be tempted to rely upon men, to rely upon people. Don't be persuaded by favourable circumstances. No matter how high the walls that surround you, no matter the gates and bars that secure you, always lean into the Lord and let him be your shield and your guide. Always lean upon the Lord. The Urim and the Thummim would allow for limited guidance, yes for one stone, no for the other. And David has to be specific in his inquiry to the Lord. Will Saul come down, yes or no? Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul, yes or no? And he gets his answers. And as God's anointed, you need to have faith to ask God specific questions the way that David asked God specific questions. Sometimes we can be very vague in our prayers, giving God some wiggle room to be able to answer be specific. Be specific in your requests. Then God can be specific in his answers and he will get greater glory in that situation. God wants to guide you. God wants to lead you. Be specific in your prayers and your requests of God. Verse 13. So David and his men, uh, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. And then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. The people of Keilah were fearful and weak. They could not defend themselves against the Philistines. They knew what uh, Saul had done in Nob by massacring the priests and everybody, all the inhabitants of uh, Nob. They feared the same happening to them, no doubt. So they could not, if they couldn't defend themselves against the Philistines, certainly they wouldn't be able to defend themselves against Saul and his army. So David leaves Keilah before they could betray him and hand him over to Saul. David is gracious to Keilah and stops them from being put in a difficult position and he leaves before they can do anything wrong, where they need to make a choice between him or Saul. Saul thought God had given David into his hand, but God delivered David out of Saul's hand, thwarting Saul's plans. And as God's anointed, you need to show grace to the weak the way that David showed grace to the weak people of Keilah. Knowing God will deliver you from the strong. Let me say that again. You need to show grace to the weak, knowing God will deliver you from the strong. Put your life into his hands, not into the hands of others. Trust that he will guide you. Trust that he will protect you. 
trust that he will provide for you. So, I'm going to wrap it up there. I'm not going to go into the wilderness of Ziff. I think I've talked for long enough this morning. Um, but let me just say this. You are anointed of God. And just as God guided David, God will guide you. Make sure you look for his will in your life, not trying to operate according to your own wisdom and intelligence. David's still on the run. Saul is hot on his heels after Keilah, and he's going to catch up with him in the wilderness of Ziph. Things are getting darker. Things are getting more difficult for uh, David. And Saul's going to get to the place at about the end of chapter 23 where David is right in his hand. What's going to happen? We'll find out next time. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that we are your anointed. We thank you that you are the same God that does not change. And as you train and as you taught and as you equipped David, so, Lord, you train and you teach and you equip us. Just as you had calling purpose and plan for David, so you have calling purpose and plan for us. Help us to lean and rely upon you, that we are guided by you and not by our own wisdom and strength. That, Lord, we would reach the place that you would want us to reach and we would have that confidence in you that you wish us to have. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.